Good evening. I'm Fiona Mountford, theatre critic of the Evening Standard, and it's my great pleasure to welcome you here tonight for this already second platform event of the new year. My guest tonight is making his national theatre debut with his exuberant production of The Magistrate. However, theatre fans will doubtless best know Timothy Shida as the hugely successful artistic director of that charming Regent's Park venue, the Open Air Theatre. His revivals of classical music, classic musicals there, including Crazy For You, Into The Woods and Hello Dolly, have won hatfuls of Olivier Awards. It's a pleasure to have him here this evening, so welcome, Tim. Thank you. Hello. Tim, um, one question jumps out at me above all the others. What's it like working in a theatre with a roof? <laughs> um, I've worked in two theatres this year without a roof, and, okay. um, and we lost the first performance at both of those theatres. Okay. So it was, it, was, it was, yeah, one pressure less to kind of know that you will be doing the first performance because <laughs> rain can't interfere. Um, it's great. The unpredict miss the unpredictability of rain? No. No, no. Okay, uh, fair enough. And after the summer we've had, I should imagine not. Uh, but slightly more seriously, how have you, this is your National Theatre debut, how have you found it? Was it as you expected it to be working here or surprises uh, along the way? Uh, it's everything I hoped it would be, is, okay. the, is, is, the, is the honest truth, I think. I've been... Um, coming and seeing things in this theatre since the early, uh, late 90s and wow. um, coming to these events. Uh, I used to come to all of them when I first arrived in London in the late 90s and uh, I think everyone who works in theatre aspires to, to work sure. in, in um, uh, to work here and, and I was certainly part of that um, group of people and, and I really always wanted to work in this particular theatre. Right. Um, so, yeah, it was very exciting to be asked to make a piece of work for this space. And why this theatre in particular? Because uh, I Olivier? like the challenges of it, I like the right. size of it. Yeah. I like opening those double doors, coming through those double doors when I come to see something here and yeah. seeing the event that is what, even just the first image that you see when sure. you come into the theatre. It always, it always feels like a magical space that is going to be transformed. Yeah. And, and that I don't know how they're going to do it or where sure. it's going to come from. And the possibilities of the revolve as well offer. Yeah, I think it was more the depth for me okay. um, than the revolve. I mean, okay. we do use the revolve, but not, not, not very much. It was more the depth and the, and the, uh, the kind of amphitheatre feel to yeah. it, which is not unlike Regent's Park. I suspect the mere fact that I've done so many plays, not outside, but on that big stage, was why I was asked to do this job. Um, so, uh, because not many of us get the chance to work on big stages, mm -hmm. directors of my generation and certainly below, I think, we didn't get to work on big stages because the funding was already tight 15 yeah. years ago and we got, you were very lucky if you got a gig in the studio somewhere, so you didn't get a chance to practice and I did get, a, a, I was given a, a, a break very early by, um, <clears throat> I was an assistant for a long time, but then... Um, I, I did some plays with Michael Grandage at Sheffield, which is not unlike this theatre. It's a different shape, but the sensibility of it yeah. and the relationship between performer and audience and the non I, I'm a little bit terrified by proscenium arch because I've, I've done so little of it. Because I remember when I interviewed you for The Standard a couple of years ago and you said two things you'd like to do were make your national theatre debut and a musical on Broadway, and you've achieved both of those yeah. in the last two years. Exciting. Hurrah, very good. Um, as I think so, um, some of us will know, um, Arthur Wing Pinero was the star playwright of his day, but he fell from favour in the early 20th century. But what's intriguing is 
there's been a great Pinero revival happening of late. There was a touring production of Dandy Dick in the autumn, as well as the second Mrs. Tanqueray at the Rose Theatre Kingston. And next month, we'll see Trelawney of the Wells at the Donmar Warehouse. Tim, why do you think Pinero's suddenly receiving all this attention now? Because it's out of copy copyright. I knew you were going to say that. I knew it was going to say that. <laughs> it's hard times. It's, you know, one less person to pay. What, so copyright um, is, you told no, me. No, no, I don't, I don't think it is. I mean, he is out of copyright, but it's not that he's right. recently out of copyright. Oh, well, okay. maybe he is. Oh. He died in 1939, I think. So it's or 34. Eight, how many? Seven, oh, my maths is... I think it's 85 years. But 85, 75, okay. No, it can't be 85. 75. 70 years, is it copyright? 70 years. Um, okay. I, 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 the, the, I think it was the Times did a, um, an article about this and, and we all got phoned up that we're working on <laughs> them. And, and I, I, I think it's fluke. I honestly right. think it's chance. I think he's one of those writers that you, you can, you know, when I was doing my research looking, they've all been done here, haven't they, over the years, all of those plays. And I think um, he's one of those writers that is not a mainstay of the repertoire, no. but he's somebody that you want to revisit and is worth yeah. revisiting. Um, it just seems odd, the four productions almost seems within very four peculiar. months. Of, but doesn't yeah. that often happen? You know, there are three productions of Winter's Tale on at the same time. And yeah. I mean, it, it does feel very peculiar, but I, I, apart from the fact there is no writer to pay, yes. I cannot... Yes, well, that, that helps. But so prior to directing this, what was your own experience of Panera? Did you know much of his work? Had you seen I, much? I hadn't seen any plays just pausing to no i hadn't mm -hmm. seen i'd read a few and okay. i didn't know this i'd read the schoolmistress and trelawney of the wells yeah. and um second mrs tankery yeah uh, but i'd never seen any yeah because trelawney of the wells is the one that seems to be done most often I've i remember seen trelawney here i remember right. helen mccroy i remember i didn't see it but i remember helen mccroy doing trelawney here and i yeah. think helen bonham carter yeah i has saw done that it. in the west end yeah, I, I just remember she spoke a heroic number of cigarettes in that production i don't remember anything else about it a lot of smoking but so i i'm sure that even those of you who haven't yet seen the production will know the magistrate is a farce um, and in my, uh, in my critical opinion, farce is the trickiest genre to direct because it requires precision timing. Um, I remember talking to you, Tim, during rehearsals and you remarking that you were driving the cast mad by saying, if you put the teacup down here, it isn't funny. If you put it here, it is. So can you tell us a bit about the mechanics I of think directing it, farce? I think, first of all, I'm a, I'm, I, I, I'm a terrible person to direct it probably for the, I mean, for the actors because I don't laugh very much in rehearsal. <laughs> and it's not that I don't think it's funny. It's just that... It's instinctive. You just yeah. watch it and you know that that's funny and that isn't funny. I mean, yeah. largely the actors do, let's be fair. It's largely led by the actors. They know right. what's funny. And, and that's really easy to know why they know that because they, they meet you every night. Yeah. Nancy and John and Jonathan and Josh, they, they know this play far more than I do now because yeah. they play it to a thousand people every night. So of they course. know where the Latin... And, and Nancy Cow says something really interesting, interesting to me. She She was in a, I don't know if anyone saw it, that brilliant production of um, Philip King's uh, um, Run For Your Wife. Is that right? No, see how, well, see how they see run. How they That's run. what I mean, sorry, yeah. see how they run. And the, the Doug Hodge direction in the West End, which I thought was fantastic. And I was talking to Nancy about it, and she told me that he, that, that playwright, rewrote that play over 10 years. He was in it, wow. and, and every time it was revived, he rewrote it. And, and that feels completely sure. right for this genre, because they might have an instinct in rehearsal that putting it down on that line is funny. I might think that yeah. it's funny, putting, but we don't know until... And no. usually it's consistent in front of an audience, but I think yeah. um, 
it's, so it's a peculiar job because you are, are, I don't laugh because I'm technically going, oh yeah, that, I think if you tried it on that line yeah. or if you got up here or... Um, but were, there la were, the, were the actors laughing in rehearsal? Did they make each other laugh? Yes. With it? Oh, that's good. Yeah. Good. Probably because I was looking so lemon-lipped. <laughs> Come on, it's funny. But um, so aside from the mechanics of fast, what are the other challenges? Can you tell us uh, some of the other challenges perhaps this piece offers you as a director and the actors when you read it first of all do you think well, oh. it, it, when I read it first of all and I didn't know the play it, it, it had been done here in 19 a friend of mine was in it it was in 1989 I think with Nigel Hawthorne in the in the Littleton um, and I didn't know it at all mm. I remember it being on with Ian Richardson in the West End and I hadn't right. seen it and uh, and I read it and I remember thinking that I read the first five pages and it made me laugh and I understood it. It felt very, its vernacular felt very modern. Yeah. It isn't and, it, and, it, and the production isn't, um, but it's, it felt contemporary. It felt, yeah. uh, I, I could associate with it very easily and it didn't feel, I mean, we've had a little bit of struggle with this in, in rehearsal and performance of, of, of the exposition of these plays in the first act, but when I read it on the, uh, when I first read it, um, I didn't feel that. I felt that, the, I felt that the structure of the first act was not exposition heavy. It was yeah. very readable. Um, I would say the mechanics are the greatest challenge okay. of doing a farce, for sure. And, that, and the fact that, 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 you know, and we don't direct them very often. It's certainly the first yeah, farce I've sure. directed. Um, oh, no, no, it isn't. I did one you did some at the watermelon, did, didn't you? It wasn't a farce. Oh. I did a, a very bad production of something that we won't talk about. Um, <laughs> Uh, I seem to remember um, it. I saw it. I, well, I enjoyed it. Anyway, it was bad. Go on, carry on. Um, I thought it was good. Uh, so you don't, you don't, uh, you don't have much experience of no, it. You, no, I mean, I do, I've directed a lot, lot of comedy, but but yeah. but but not necessarily. And I and I do lots of physical things, but not farce. Yeah. So I I found the the, the technical aspect of it um, challenging and uh, really. Uh, exciting to work on because it was new to me but the biggest challenge has to be doing it here on this stage um, which is not necessarily the most natural home for this play um, and how to fulfill the brief of a big Olivier Christmas show with 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 a play that perhaps is is is, is uh, you know traditionally presented in a small proscenium arch theatre I mean, I know the Littleton isn't small, but there is at least a proscenium. So the first challenge was um, how to... Um, and <laughs> well, the first challenge is that there are, there are four acts. Yeah. And, um, well, three acts, but I, I say four because one's got two scenes, but four, four, four acts with three different sets. And um, when you revive these, you know, we all know that there was an interval after every one of these acts. The curtain would come down and there'd be an interval and the set yeah. would get changed. And we don't do that anymore. And... This isn't a proscenium arch theatre, so how do you do that? So yeah. the, the first challenge was the design, which was a big challenge and, and, and a really, really exciting one. And uh, Katrina, Lindsay and I have not worked together before, so it was pretty tall order to do a show, a, a, a make a piece for this stage when we hadn't worked together before and that dialogue was new. But we had a terrific time working together and it was a very compressed design time because of the change of title. and. Katrina was working in this space. I, def I said I don't want to work with anyone who hasn't worked in here before because I haven't worked in here and I didn't want to work with a lighting designer who hadn't worked in here or a sound, and a particularly a sound designer because it's really difficult to sound. So I wanted a team who, you know, I've only sat that where you're sitting. And, um, uh, uh, and Katrina was working on, on, on 
London Road, the move of London Road, which was a big job to take London Road from the Cotteslow to here, and I was working in New York. So, so it, it was the initial conceptual meetings were three days in New York when both of our heads were on big other projects. Um, uh, and then resources of the National Theatre, which, which are essential because y you just have to have those. Uh, th th we, were, we were brilliantly supported with... with um, so I would go to Katrina's studio at five o'clock in the afternoon and a number of assistants had been building models in the day and then Katrina and I would talk and then Katrina would say, you have to go home now because we've got to build. <laughs> and then I'd go home and come back at five o'clock the next day and see what had been made. So it was a very short, intense period, but um, a very happy one. The first um, real challenge was uh, no walls. There's just there's one, yeah. the first act has one wall at the back and there are no walls at the side and it's a farce and they have to make fast entrances and they have to, in the, and you get your little French's copy out, which you, you don't really for any other play, but it's quite useful for a play like this. I, I, I was kind of glued to the back of the French's edition where there was little layouts of the set, <laughs> um, not least because we can't do that in this theatre, but it's just really interesting to see um, how it was written. It was, you know, I, I direct a lot of these um, American musicals and, and you, I, I eat up the stage directions because it's, because I know, having done a new musical, that the, the designers were in the rehearsal room and they were, um, and the writers were being asked to write certain scenes or, mm. or things of certain length to fit the design or vice versa. Um, so it was good to get into the playwright's head by look, because I knew uh, he's also from the little reading I'd done about him, that he was very pedantic and he was yeah. um, not, he directed his plays and if he didn't, he hated the directors. He was very, yeah. very controlling. Yeah. And he said if he left his, if he died when he'd only merely written the play, the work would be half done. Yeah. So I knew that, that he, obviously he'd have had an influence on those, on those designs. Sure. Um, and you, and you know, I'm trying to figure out the, so trying to figure out the entrances and something very as simple as, it, for those that have seen it or those that are going to see it, um, Sis or, or one of the servants, Popham or, or um, uh, Wick, come on and they, and they hit the stage and they have an aside. Well, you can't hit the stage in this theatre downstage and not be seen getting to that entrance yeah. because, so you clearly can't be seen because it's, it's got to be revealed, it's not an open stage play. So, the, so we have angled the set on a certain angle to get this stage right door as far downstage as possible without you seeing them getting to it. But it's still a, it's still a journey. The, do the doors are basically upstage. In the French's edition, they come on downstage, they do their assignment, and then they go upstage. In this production, they come on upstage, and they have to race down the, down the um, uh, rake to get to the front to talk to you, and then race back up. So okay. that was a, cha a challenge, how to do particularly the first act. Um, and no, it's not easy to make quick exits or quick entries. You've got a lot of no, and, and meters to cover. Uh, and we were, we were not interested in creating a uber-naturalistic, Victorian, anti-Macassar, um, um, chintzy drawing room. Um, and we have a big space to fill. And most people, we all kind of assume comedy works better in smaller spaces. And um, so there are, there, are, there are very strong challenges in, in, in creating the, the drawing room particularly. The other two sets <clears throat> come out of the floor and were a little bit easier to contain. But we, what we didn't want to do was deliver a, rightly or wrongly, Katrina and I uh, both adore this space and were thrilled to be asked to work in this space. And, People always talk about delivering the play, but I always think, I always ask myself about, 
where am I delivering this play? When am I delivering it? And for whom am I doing it? Were and you I aware? Were you, you mentioned it was the National's big Christmas show. Did that sort of weigh on you in your planning? You're thinking about it. Were you aware? Do you think you approached it slightly differently because it was the Christmas show? Uh, well, it didn't weigh. It was no, totally uh, thrilling and exciting sure. and, and but did privilege. But you approach it slightly differently, um, maybe? There's a, there's a, well, do you know what? There's a Christmas tree, for those that have seen it. There's a Christmas tree <laughs> on, 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 on set. Waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> that was entirely me. Uh, that, uh, waste of time. There's no reference to it being Christmas. It's pretty. Yeah. She's done. Katrina's created a beautiful Christmas tree. It's not real. It's paper, and it's. <laughs> I love it, but it's merely aesthetic. It does not help tell the story whatsoever. Yeah. Um, so, doesn't about it being Christmassy, but it, no, it wasn't. But it was about. Yes, it, there was a thing about. Uh, the holidays and this week sure. and who's coming to the theatre and what, yeah. who might like to see it and why. That's not to say you only have to do farces and comedy at Christmas. No, we know not. that's not true at all. Um, but this glorious but kind of cut-out cityscape yeah. looks like a, you know, obviously a big Christmas. It's absolutely wonderful. I was transfixed yeah. by so it. So that, that, that was an early piece Lovely. of design. That how, what, what, as I said, for me, it's what do you see when you come in? And we, we, we worked on this a lot before the, the actual... Um, set. So it wasn't about Christmas, but it was about... A, a Katrina, Katrina's word was about delivering a gift. Yeah. Some kind of... Um, yeah. Very much that. Very much that. Um, there's, there's, there's some terrific casting on offer here. Obviously, there's John Lithgow. Of course, there's Nancy Carroll. And my particular favourite, um, Joshua Maguire, whom I'm sure many of you will know from his role in the BBC drama, The Hour. Um, could you tell us a little, about, bit, little bit about the casting process? How did you pick all these lovely people? Um, yeah, um, uh, Nick, uh, the play was Nick Heitner's idea um, around uh, John Lithgow. So the project was kind of put together. If He said, um, if you read the play and do you like John Lithgow, go and meet John Lithgow. And I, I was working in New York and uh, John, John was working in New York as well. And so we met and had um, breakfast and talked about the play. And he loved the play and he'd seen this play and he'd seen the same production that Nick saw. Nick saw Alistair Sim, which wow. some, some people may have seen. Um, I, I believe it was at Chichester and then it transferred into the West End. And John had also seen it when he was uh, um, out of college and he directed it oh, in, wow. in weekly summer stock. Um, I can't remember where. Um, <clears throat> so John, so jo jo John felt that John was thrilled to be asked, and 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 he and Nick have worked together before, so that kind of came together. Yeah. And and um, I'm a big fan of Nancy, so I just made that offer. And then, yeah. um, and then I was away um, doing this other show, and and we were quite late with everything, and not late, but we, but we couldn't wait for me to come back to cast some of the main parts, and. Um, uh, I'd seen Josh Maguire, who, who plays Sis, who's kind of the the, the other. Um, well, it's about him, him, his relationship with with his parents, um, and I'd seen him in in something, and uh, and we skyped, <laughs> and and it was we didn't know each other, and we'd never met, and we just skyped, yeah. wow. and and um, it felt a bit foolish to ask him to read, <laughs> so we just kind of got a flavour of each other, yeah. and. And I rang a few people up, and then we just asked him. Oh, and so we didn't meet anyone else. So, oh, that, well, and he's I, fantastic. He's terrifically, terrifically good. If you've seen it, you'll know this. If not, you're, you're in for a real treat there. But 
One of my favourite aspects of the production is, um, is an innovation that you yourself have introduced. You've included Gilbert and Sullivan-style musical interludes, complete with witty contemporary lyrics from Richard Stilgo between each scene. Can, uh, why did you decide to do this? Uh, well, I'm glad you like them, Fiona, because lots of people don't. Um, so I'm, I'm sure there are lots of people here who don't. But, um, uh, yep, yeah, I'm going to go... It's... it's um, uh, they're there for a very particular reason. They're there because the scenery has to move. Right, And yes. the scenery, ha it takes a long time to move. This thing is really difficult to work with, this drum revolve. Right. And it takes, it takes an awful long time to deliver what it has to deliver. It it's amazing, and it's amazing to stand How long here. does one whole revolve take? Oh, I don't know the time, but it, it's, it? it's like, uh, it does so many different things. I right. don't think we do a whole revolve, but nothing's less than a minute and a half. Okay. So By the time it's gone down, yep. moved around, got the other set, I, I mean, That's lots of people have got, it's, it's within a, it's all done to a second, and yep. in rehearsals, we, um, the, the resources of the National Theatre, the, the, the drawing department made a, um, virtual version of it online and we put the we were we were recording it and kind of putting doing the scene changes online in rehearsal because of course we didn't want to get here and go well it's three verses too long or two verses too short yeah um so it was um about delivering the scene we knew that we had to change the scenery and we knew that it didn't feel like a and we had to we had to change even though this is not um we didn't want solid mahogany uh, walls and panels and furniture, but we were still not doing. An, we were not playing. We were not doing Warhorse, where things or where things drift on and off, yeah. or any of the plays that are more organic to this space. Sure. We were delivering big pieces of scenery, and so there would need to be music. Yeah. Um, and it felt that the timings were so long that it, it, it we needed yeah. more than just incidental music. And and it also felt we, we had so many people, there were so many people that are understudies and uh, that, we, that we thought, well, we, we can use all these incredibly yeah. talented people. Yeah. Um, and so I thought, I, I think I'd like to do something live, something that, that um, has live music because I'd like live music and sure. you can have live music and why not do songs rather than just music. Yeah. Um, so it came out of the set um, uh, and I, uh, so I researched a lot of things and I landed on Gilbert and Sullivan pretty quickly because um, <laughs> Panera was the second theatrical night. Oh, no, no, he must have been the second playwright night or non-actor night, and W.S. Gilbert was the first. Oh. Um, and the Mikado premiered in the same year as um, The Magistrate and the topsy-turvydom of GNS world felt somewhat akin to the topsy-turvydom yep. of a farce. They were both in Victorian innovators. Yep. They were both pushing form forward. Okay. Um, and they both rely on, on, on wit and, and, and um, uh, verbal wit. So I thought, uh, so I, 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 myself and a colleague listened to an awful lot of GNS. I'm not a huge fan of GNS, so that, that okay. wasn't... So that was a bit of a, bit of a trial. Wasn't a, yeah, it wasn't my best time. Um, and, we, and we did pick some bits that we were going to use. And then I thought, actually, why don't we just try and do new music? Yeah. Why? This was about two weeks before rehearsal started. Okay. Um, just to keep it really was. Um, uh, or three weeks before. We'd not, I purposely not cast any of the um, smaller parts and understudies just in case we might go this way and what we would need. So we, it was all done very last minute. Um, 
And then, so I spoke to the um, music department here, Matthew Scott, and he came up with these writers, and I thought, perfect fit. So we met Richard, the two Richards, and they wrote these songs and about four other ones that went oh. in rehearsal. Not, uh, or got replaced, yes. rather, yeah. or various versions. They wrote them very, very quickly. Sure. And I thought, and, and we, we struggled about what the content would be and, mm -hmm. and uh, alighted on this kind of that they're supposed to feel, you know, there's one of them, the, the one that the ladies do in the second half, which will be slightly different tonight because of sickness, um, uh, uh, is, is kind of the inner voice of the um, subjugated women within the play. Um, the first one, there was a whole, the that they're supposed to be a little bit choric, I guess, yeah. and, and that I wanted this group of people to be chorus as in old-fashioned, as in Greek chorus or as in old-fashioned, Rogers and Hammerstein faceless chorus, that a row of Koreans rather than what is the fashion musical theatre now that everyone has their own backstory. Yeah. But the, the, these were these were just uh, coming to comment on the world of the play. So they talk about, I think the first lyric of the evening is London, what a magnificent facade. Um, is that right? Uh, 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 um, uh, uh, so they felt a natural fit and. Um, uh, and it was really ch it was a big challenge. They were all working in a, in another room whilst we were working on the scenes, and people were in and out of both okay. because of because it was uh, as the scenery developed and as the timings kept getting changed. You know, new verses had to be written, yeah, or, or we'd have different. Yeah. yeah. Um, the revolve never surprised you by going quicker one day or anything. Did it uh, have a slow down or a work to order? We, we did get different bits of information, <laughs> uh, that, uh, and, and to be fair, because we were late with the design, right. um, and it was a struggle to um, to to get these songs working. And and I I really believe in them, and I believe that they are the cement of this production. Yes. And I. I don't like the criticism that they get in the way because I think, well, they don't get in the way. I do actually know about rhythm yeah. and they wouldn't be there if I felt they were killing. They're there where either there would be an interval or there would be a, yeah. or the curtain would come down. So we don't interfere with the natural rhythm of the play. Yeah. Whether people like them or not, that's fair enough. But no, they're I there for a... I genuinely, I thought they were super and I, thought the, I came with a uh, friend and we really, we thought they provided a real, kind of, a real high point at the end of each scene, a real, uh, no, a very much and a nice transition to the next scene. I, I thought they were And a pause, because, you know, oh, sometimes, you know, it isn't Shakespeare where you are driving through into the next act where there wouldn't necessarily have been an act break. There no. was absolutely an act absolutely. break here. And so... Um, and it was really interesting to, to, to talk about tempi and style and tone and not and all out of context because until, the, 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 until you're actually running the play, which we didn't do that many times, you don't really right. get that in the rehearsal room. And so we did, a, um, we did I, think, I think we did two and a half runs. Maybe we did three, I can't remember. Certainly not more than three. Um, I think it was two. And, and, we, and, we, and we did the second one on the Friday I remember, and um, we were coming on stage on the Saturday to do to do all the transitions, to do all the all this scenery moving before we take the play, all day before we did the scenes, and I, and I and I watched the the run through and 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 the it wasn't working the first song it just was not right, and I was doing everything to avoid say, saying to myself it's wrong. Yeah. I was kind of going well the temp is wrong, oh the words are wrong, oh the choreography is wrong, knowing that it was wrong and. Um, and I went to get my notes off Nick Heitner, and he said, well, that first song doesn't work. Oh, gosh. And, I sa and he, said, no, he said, you're not going to like this, that first song doesn't work. And I said, oh, and I, I totally agree. Um, and so we cut it on the Friday, and we, 
and the two Richards went away and rewrote a song and the actors got um, emailed it on Sunday night. So we teched without it on, so we didn't do the first movement in here and we on the Saturday and then they, they got it on the Sunday night and then I teched the first scene on Monday whilst they went and learnt it in a rehearsal on Monday morning and then went outside to that foyer where we've all just been standing and learnt some choreography oh, <laughs> on the Monday morning. Well, and it, it went in on the Wednesday, when we opened on the Wednesday, the first performance was on the Wednesday and it went in and it was, and they did an, an, an amazing job. Couldn't really hear many of the words on the first performance because <laughs> we were still, we still memorising them. But they did an am everyone did an amazing job to turn that around and it was the right decision. Yeah, well, I, well, I, th I, think, yeah, I think it works terrifically well. Um, well time, time is pressing on. Well, we've, we've, talked we've talked about farce, the mechanics of directing farce and so on, but what exactly is farce's ongoing appeal down the centuries, down the decades? Why do we so much enjoy seeing people shut in wardrobes, often without their trousers? I mean, that might or might not happen tonight. We don't want to spoil that. Yeah, but it doesn't quite general. happen in this, does it? I don't... I, 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 but in general, people... Because yeah, sort of, you know, it, it, it's strange. That, that, uh, it doesn't feel like that type of farce. Okay. This. When I first read it, and I thought, oh, a farce in three acts. So I went back to the front page after I'd read it and thought, it didn't feel like that. It doesn't feel like yeah. one of those... It doesn't it's feel like noises French off. It's not sex farce. It's not, it? it's not noises not off, and it's not fading. And there are no vicars. No, no. I think it's the topsy-turvydom. I think yeah. it's... I mean, he goes out of it. He says... He, he responded to... It was a new... I, I don't know if people know this. I didn't until I researched it. But it was a new form of farce. The British farce before this was low comedy. Yeah. It, there were no plots or, f or plots... The plots weren't developed. Yeah. Um, it was um, l l downstairs people. Yeah. And, and it was effectively a lot of people coming on to do their act mm -hmm. and, and a play strung together around that or the French farces, which were much more sophisticated, um, f um, a very similar structure to Panero's, but, but, but were much more immoral and certainly not Victorian. And, you know, I love the, f I love the fact that, you know, most act twos of a French farce are set in a French hotel where <laughs> the wrong people meet the wrong people <laughs> and, and, and they're illicit and it's sexual infidelities and, and, and um, adultery. In this sanitized Victorian version, the, it is merely called the Hôtel de France as, yeah. a, as a kind of a reference to that, but there, yeah. no, one's, no one takes their clothes off. And the no most risky thing they do is eat deviled oysters. Deviled oysters. Yeah. So, so, so the, the devil, this, this need to eat yeah. is, is there. So it's sort of running the risk of norovirus maybe with that. Yeah. Yeah, no. well, sorry, no, we're not mentioning uh, so that. So I think it's, mm -hmm. I, I think it's the topsy-turvydom. I, okay. I think it's that we're invited to, um, to, uh, surrender on that sense of naturalism and, and, our, and the regular rules yeah. and we're invited to participate in some very particular rules where the yeah. mistaken identities the closing and shutting of doors yes. the the french hotel the you know in victorian fast the domestic hearth in act one then yeah. the hotel and then the return to the domestic hearth and and knowing that that resident the, the to me again going back to the songs and the set it was about being able to sit back and relax right. and enjoy the absurdity knowing it's all going to turn out and all yeah. right in the end and i think there's a there's a there's a yeah. if that's the and you know what's it says it does what it says on the tin with a farce yeah. if I, I think so you kind of there's a there's a joy to go to the theater and not get any of that but with a farce yeah you know exactly it's you, reassuring you know despite wardrobes and deviled oysters it will all there will be a happy ending yeah so 
two, I have two more questions, Tim, and then I think it's time for someone else to ask you something. But I'm intrigued by the way, particularly intrigued by the way Pinero flags up here and also in the second Mrs. Tanqueray, the precarious position of women in Victorian society. But the starting point of the magistrate is actually very poignant. Agatha, the, the central character, decides to knock five years off her age in case her would-be second husband decides that at 36, she's too old to be marriageable. Women's position is always seems so fragile. It's, it, you know, it, this is not an empty play. He, he, his, his hobby horse, if you like, or his, his, his cause is the, the lot of the Victorian middle-class woman. And, and, it, and, it, and it is something that is seen through his work. There's a, there's a, a play that's never performed called The Notorious Mrs. Mrs. Ebsworth, yeah. which goes even further and, and really, really explores that the social position of these women. Uh, the play is completely based on, on that. And yeah. the two characters, those two, well, there are four females, but the two central characters are, are fascinating. It's all done through comedy, but, you know, he, he, he's, he, he, some people d explain him as, uh, or describe him as being the, the, the acceptable face of Ibsen. Yeah. Because it is the time of, of, of um, uh, The Doll's House and, and uh, uh, Hedda Gabler. And he was certainly influenced by them. Uh, and he certainly... Well, I don't know if they saw them. I can't believe he didn't. Um, uh, the, 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 it's fascinating because she isn't lying. It is, it is not a mere uh, vanity. No. She is not, it's her it's, second marriage, yeah. and she is, she, her son is, she's, a, she's a single parent. Her, her son is at boarding school. Her husband is dead. She has nothing. She yeah. has no means. Uh, she, it makes me think about Lady Anne in Richard III and that Lady Anne comes into that scene spitting and shouting and, and calling him everything and then by the end of the hundred line scene she marries him and because what would she be without him? You've either got to be a, 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 a York or a Lancaster um, and, and, and I think um, uh, you know, the first scene we hear about her going to I've forgotten where they go to. It's a lot. It's a while since we rehearsed it. Um, somewhere in France, um, Tour, uh, Tour de Fontaine. Who's that? Yeah, hello, James. Um, uh, Tour de Fontaine. They go to, and he talks about treading on her, uh, uh, treading on my on, on her dress, and and, it, and I trot. He says very eloquently and really romantically. I trod on her dress, and and she turned around and she smiled at me, and we sipped the waters and we talked about our common ailments. That and I totally believe she positioned herself. <laughs> she asked the waiters, is that gentleman on his own? Yeah. Well, and, and she positioned herself and, and she allowed him to stand on her dress. Oh, hello, sir. <laughs> and, and, you know, and it's, you know, a week later, they're married. Oh, and she says, um, we got, and it, it was so romantic that we didn't tell any of our, our families. We just got married out there. Yeah. And of course she did, because she needed him and she yeah. needed this man. And you can bet that if she hadn't been pretty and 36, if she'd been sort of 56 and so on, he, they probably wouldn't have been married within a week. And she, no, and she, and she worries that she's too old for him and yeah. she won't catch, he's 51, I think, um, and she won't catch him, so, so she lies about her age. The other character that is, fa is, is absolutely fascinating is the sister called um, Charlotte, and she is in the stage directions described as being under 30. So... I forget all the uh, ages, I'm sorry, but let's say that she actually was 16 when she got married um, the first time, Agatha. and ha I, 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 It's something like that. But she was certainly married under 20. And her sister, who is 30, under 30, so he didn't write under 20, he said under 30, 
is not married and is having, a, uh, I think, a jolly good time. She goes racing, she drinks, she flirts with men, she, she hangs out with men. Various men are mentioned in the play. She, she gambles. Um, she, she, the fir, you know, her third line of the play is, I'll have a, a, a tonic water. Or, do, do you want a cup of tea? No, I'll have a tonic water or something. Tonic water? You can put what you like at the bottom of it. <laughs> well, that clearly is telling us who this character is um, uh, immediately. And she can only do those things because she isn't married. And so she immediately starts talking about marriage and kind of... And, and, and it, she's clearly delayed it for as long as possible yeah. so that she, can, she doesn't want to be Agatha Poskett. And Agatha's yeah. appalled at her sister's behaviour. Yeah. And, and her sister's kind of appalled at her behaviour. You lied. Why? It's only five years. Yeah. And what are you doing? And why do you need... And, and this woman is... Uh, and, and, I, I, it's brilliant that he chose to write this kind of secondary, underwritten, severely underwritten plot. Um, it's severely underwritten. It's very hard for those two actors, Vale and um, Charlotte, because they get two... You know, you have to listen hard to hear their backstory, and then they have one exchange with each other at the, um, in the hotel to, to kind of get this, this subplot. But it's really interesting. It's not just a kind of casual soubrette subplot yeah. there's a there's a there's a real reason to sure. it um uh yeah he's a complete champion of, yeah. of early champion of, of um equality yeah and th there's obviously so much here we could talk about i'm sure many of you are extra keen to see the actual play now so i'm afraid we're going to have to wrap things up so all that remains for me to do is to thank you very much for coming and of course to thank our guest timothy sheeder thank you, thank you.